It's like a rumble from the core of the earth. Welcome to The Last Thing I Saw. I'm your host, Nicholas Ripold. The movie Memoria from director Apichat Pongrir Sethical is still in theaters. It's getting a gradual rollout by its distributor Neon, which means that many listeners might be watching the film for the first time soon. I'm a fan, as listeners already know, but as it turns out, I still had a recording about Memoria that I hadn't posted yet. It's a conversation with the veteran Thai critic Kong Rithdi. Kong Rithdi is currently the deputy director of the Thai Film Archive, and he's also a longtime contributor to the Bangkok Post, where he was chief film critic. He saw Memoria before it premiered in the can last summer, and as always, I was eager to hear his thoughts. I'm pleased to finally share our conversation, and I'll let my guest kick things off. Fortunately, I got to see Memoria before Vichet Pong left uh, to France. Uh, he had a screening for his crew, and he asked me to join the screening. So I, I got to see the film actually twice before, uh, before the festival. Well, I think it's wonderful. It's still very much an Abhishek Pong's film, but you can also find a lot of new things and new ideas and in the film. And I think he tries to not to repeat himself, but at the same time he tries to maintain. Well, is a film about his obsession, his obsession, what he dreams about, things about, and he. He puts that into image and and sound, uh, so it's still the same obsession, I would say. But I think he tries to find a new way to express those things. Yeah. Uh, mainly because uh, we have Tilda Swinton. She, he has Tilda Swinton in the film, and she is such a presence and such a force. And I think her presence alone shifts the film, the the the, mm. the core of the film, the consciousness of the film. Because she's in every scene, she's in every, she's everywhere in the film, and and Abhishek Pung said that the way he made this film was that he had to synchronize himself with the character Jessica, played by Tilda, and I believe this is uh, the main reason that this film looks the same, but at the same time it is totally different mm. from uh, from what we have seen before in Abhishek Pung's films. Yeah, she is really in in every scene or every other scene. So she becomes a kind of center of gravity. Yes. Yeah, she plays a character who is she hears a sound, and then she has to figure it out. Basically, yes. <laughs> she has to find out where that sound came from. <laughs> yes, and it's it's a sound that wakes her up. Yes. In the opening of the movie, that was significant for me. That that's the kind of sound it is. It's a sound that can break through mm-hmm. other dreams you might be having, um, and so that becomes mm-hmm. her waking preoccupation, basically. Yes, and I think for from the perspective of uh, well, a Thai person. Or, an, or a Thai critic uh, looking at Abhishek Pong's film, I think, of course, this is the first time that he shot a film, a whole feature film outside of Thailand, in a language that he cannot properly speak or understand, and uh, in a new environment, totally new environment, uh, removed from his usual ground of the northeastern region of Thailand and or uh, Thailand in general. So for for me, it is very interesting to see how he he finds a way to negotiate his way around a new environment, mm. and not just the location, but also the language and also the cast. 
Tilda and, and, the, and, the, and the Colombian uh, actors, and also Jean Balibar, uh, the French actress in it. I've, I've been curious how he manages to negotiate his way and to, to deal with all these new challenges, but at the same time trying to maintain what he is. Mm. You know, because a lot of people say he keeps making the same movie over and over again. And I think I find this very unfair and, and, and it's because, you know, Picasso painted the same picture over and over again, right? But it's mm-hmm. not the same. They're not the same pictures or a lot of filmmakers are accused of this, this okay, making the same thing over and over again. But I think it says it's only natural for an artist to stick to his uh, obsession, to his dream, to his view of the world. But what matters is is how they find a way to express it. Mm-hmm. And I think with this new location, with this new environment, with this new uh, sound and, and color and texture that he he found himself in while shooting this film, Amshar Pung has found, has found you in his way to express what has always been in his mind. Yeah. And and the setting, yeah, as you mentioned, the setting is in Colombia. You know, it's sort of generally around, I guess, university setting as well. Yes, um, yes. So she you know, gets the help of people uh, in, in that milieu to, you know, including a sound engineer. Yes. Then there's a journey later on, which takes us to another place entirely. What do you think are, what are the differences in, in the approach here? I mean, one thing that I, you know, I noticed is partly that it is that in the terms of the narrative, I don't know if linear is the right word, but it, mm-hmm. it's, it is more of a, a well-defined search. Yes. <laughs> there's a quest, right? This is a quest narrative. She has to find out uh, the, the source of that sound that, that she keeps hearing in her head. I think if you look at Memoria, I believe that this is a film that has some of the longest takes we've ever seen in a Pichat Pong's film. I mean, his film is often described as slow cinema. You know, the rhythm is, is very... Everything seems to, to go slower in his film. But especially in this one, mm. I think some of the long takes uh, really, really define the tempo and the rhythm and the heartbeat of the film, especially towards the end of the film when, when, when Jessica meets another character uh, by the stream in the jungle. Okay, I'm not going to say more. I think towards the, the last third of the film, that's, that's when the, the, the narrative and, and the Pichapong himself settles into this, um, this subconscious love that gives a shape to everything that came before and also the meaning of the whole film. I think the last third of the film, I think is one of the best things that he has ever done in his career. And, and when I say the last third, actually it, takes place in just only two locations or two scenes, two or three scenes. Mm. So the, the, the structure of the film, I think you asked about the approach that he took in this film and, and how it was different from the rest of his earth. I would say that the structure of this, how he, he figured out that the last third of the film has to be there and it has to encompass everything that has been said before and it has to become the, the entire universe in that last uh, moment, uh, last act of the film. I don't know how he arrived at that. I mean, uh, has it been planned carefully or he found it during the editing, but it makes uh, the whole experience wonderful and, and, and unforgettable. 
Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I, I don't want to go into too much detail about it because I think, you know, <laughs> yes. yeah, he remains one of one filmmaker who is able to retain a sense of mystery um, as you're moving through his movies. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of movies where people are worried about, you know, giving away things and uh, sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. <laughs> yes. But in this case, I think, yeah. I've been warning my friends here, oh, don't read the review or just read the first paragraph and skip <laughs> the, the whole thing and then wait until you see the film first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, the movie is a series of, of encounters for Tilda Swinton's character in a way. Mm-hmm. And that last third is is the longest encounter and the most expansive uh, as you said, you mm-hmm. know, that it can kind of, it kind yes. of opens on to the, the whole universe. Yes. And it also s- switches up the rhythm of the film at that point. Mm-hmm. The, I feel like the focus or trance sort of state that we get glimpses of along yes. the way becomes the more prevailing tone. Yeah, it's just wonderfully orchestrated. Yes, because in, in, in his previous films, uh, he has this character of uh, Jane Jira, you know, the, the auntie who's always in his previous films, mm-hmm. the, the Thai auntie, and, and some people joke that, oh, now you have Tilda Swinton replacing the old auntie. But actually, it's not a joke. It's uh, uh, Tilda is just another version of uh, a woman in Abhishek Pong's films that, uh, whose life story is just a gift that keeps on giving him mm. in terms of their uh, material, uh, their life stories, or their dreams, or their uh, memories and, and, and Tilda just fills in the place uh, where we usually have uh, Jane Jira or, or Pajen, who's become an, like an iconic character in, in his other films, uh, Symmetry of Splendors and, 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 and Syndromes and a Century and many other films, uh, Uncle Bunmi as well. And it's interesting, or it's, it's fortunate, and, and you know, this is, you know, it's no accident, it's a good, it's a good match mm-hmm. uh, between the filmmaker and actor because Tilda Swinton is able to understand she's able to kind of create i want to use the word like weather system she's sort of you know what i mean she's able to yes. i almost go so far as to say that she's the person we identify with in the movie mm-hmm. because the movie doesn't ever treat her as if she's a bizarre person for having mm-hmm. this thing she's wondering about there's a dinner scene for example yes where the acting is great because you can see her as she yes. just sort of silently figures out that they're not experiencing the same thing she's experiencing. Exactly, yes. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, it's done in one long take. Um, uh-huh. or maybe, I think one long take. And so it doesn't, like, do anything to, to fracture her sensibility. Yes. It seems to be a good mesh that is going on. Yes, very much. And there's also a scene when Tilda Swinton's character goes to a clinic and again, as in many of Apishat Pong's film, you have a scene in a clinic. <laughs> so now mm-hmm. we have Tilda Swinton in the clinic in Colombia, and, and her exchange with the doctor is just priceless. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And again, her acting is just, it's just, she's totally into the character. And I talked to Apishat Pong, and, and he said that Tilda doesn't do this method acting thing, you know. After he says cut, then she goes back to becoming herself. But once mm. she's on set, once the, the camera, camera starts rolling, she's just, you know, totally into the character. And you, yeah, it's just amazing. Yeah. I, I also want to think a bit about the, the visual scheme and mm-hmm. um, what did you think was distinct about his uh, visual scheme this time? Mm. And the- well, my, my feeling is that the takes are longer some of the longest that I've ever seen in his films. And I think because 
Colombia and Thailand, of course, uh, we are almost totally opposite. If you look at the earth, you know, Thailand and Colombia are two opposite sides. But uh, the landscape and the vegetation and the, the color, when I first saw the film, I thought, oh, you could, he could reshoot some of the some of the scenes in Thailand. You say if if there's any problem with with uh, okay, I want to reshoot this. He mm-hmm. could possibly have shot it in Thailand, and nobody would <laughs> notice. So I believe Apishat Pong's films always have a very intimate sense of location, mm. and I think that that in turn shapes his visual style. And because Colombia and Thailand may not be that different in terms of texture and landscape and even the weather. So I don't think the visual style is different, um, different from his other films, but except for the fact that maybe the takes are longer, except for the fact that maybe he wants to try uh, to work with Tilda, uh, mm-hmm. let the acting control the scene, let the let Jessica character control and dictate the pacing of the scene. And that's why the takes for me feels longer. But the visual style, I don't know, what do you think? I, I don't think there's any big difference from, from what we've seen in, in his other films. That is true about the takes. And, and he's working with the same DP that he worked with. Yes, yes. This is Seyum Pu Mukdi Prom who shot his earlier films. He didn't shoot Symmetry of Splendor. He shot uh, Uncle Bunmi and Syndromes in a Century. Seyum Pu, he also shot Call Me By Your Name. Oh. Uh, the Luca Guenignano films, yeah. He's been having a lot of uh, international exposure lately uh, with Call Me By Your Name and also the the remake of, of uh, Suspiria. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they've been working together since, uh, I think, Blissfully Yours. The first time they, wor- they worked together, it was Blissfully Yours, and that was 20 years ago. And this one, he shot on 35 and not digital uh, because Yumpu always insists on shooting film whenever it's possible. So... Uh, I think, again, the texture of the film comes from the fact that he shot on, on 35. Yeah, and that, that comes through in, in the quality of, of the light. I mean, especially in that last third, for example. You know, and then there are sort of different textures, too. There's a scene, there's a shot that jumps out at me when I think she's looking for a sound engineer at one point, And she's in this kind of metallic gray office or mole-like multiple floor setting. Mm-hmm. Which is, and it's mm-hmm. just an amazing shot because it's so different from everything around it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like that shot because it, it was like I took that as like the road she is not taking, you know, a kind of more antiseptic look look to it. And then the sound. Yes, I know. That's what I was about to say. The sound is 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 become the raison d'être of the of the film. I mean, in in all his films, sound is always an element that makes up the the texture of the film. But this one especially is the sound is at the center, and it everything happens around that sound, uh, the the bang sound, but also uh, the sound of the jungle, the sound of the stream, the sound of of the city. It. I think he paid a, a lot of attention. He, I mean, he put so much emphasis on on mixing the right sound because again, I have talked to the to his sound designer, sound mixer who works in Bangkok, and he said it's been a long process of finding the right level of different layers of sound in each scene. A lot of going back and forth and testing because there's one sound engineer in Mexico and the sound mixer is in Bangkok, you know, and they, they have to work remotely and, and, and try to figure out the, the perfect sound that the Pichat Pong wants. Not just the, the bang sound, but as I said, everything that, that makes up the sonic landscape. The bang sound itself, I heard that they experimented with 
almost 100 types of just one sound yeah. just to locate the yeah. right one yeah again i think this is another element that elevates this film or at least makes it different from his other film that the, the importance of sound and how it how it makes up a crucial part of this the world of, of this movie yeah so for a while she's kind of tormented by by this other sound but one of the set pieces it's like the live performance in this room where she, you know, is right up close suddenly with, I guess it's like a jazz quartet. Yes. You have like a mini concert in the film. <laughs> yeah. There's one set piece in the, in, the, in the music studio, yes. It's so inhabited. It's so live. Exactly. You are completely absorbed in a harmonious sound, you know? Yes, yes, yes. That's a wonderful scene. I would love a cut where that seems like 15 minutes long because it, it is. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I think that's that's one of the scenes that will be discussed a lot in all the articles that will be coming out after this. Yeah. And um, I guess there were just a couple more things I, w- I wanted to explore a bit. I mean, one is because this is often so is often so important in uh, Pong's movies for me is the this kind of exploration of desire mm-hmm. and as a kind of unpredictable force and then also just of all your natural force that's very much a part of a part of life and um, so this thing that's like very natural but also mysterious at the same time mm-hmm. because it sort of occurred to me afterwards that this is a movie where she is so focused on her quest that I didn't sense it as much for most of the movie, but there's almost like a point at one point, for example, she's with the sound engineer and yes. with the sound engineer who is like generous and you can mm-hmm. almost feel that she's a little uneasy about uh, accepting mm. the, all of his generosity. Um, mm. And I, think, I don't know. What did, what did you think? What would you think mm. along those lines? I think the, the Tilden Swinton's character is very intriguing because she floats through the world it's, it's as if she was, detached or disengaged from her own environment and i think she believes that if she could locate the source of that sound she could find a way to reconnect with the world around her again and why Mm. did this happen to her we don't know you know because it, it was hinted that that she might have lost her husband or something or it's written somewhere or it's someone mentioned it or something but it's clear that she has lost touch with her own environment. She's mm. like a ghost that floats through uh, the city of Bogota. And I think her desire, if, if you use that word, is a desire to to find a way back to her own element. Mm. This, of course, she has to do it through her relationship with that Sao, but also the person who might be able to help her find that Sao, first the Sao engineer, and then the, the man by the river or even the doctor that, that she met at the clinic. And, and this inability to, to connect or to, to attain a sense of intimacy, that's why we feel this tension between Jessica, the, the character, the Tilda Swinton character, and everything and everyone around her. And I think this tension exists in most of Ipshat Pong's film. This invisible or very, very like a subterranean hum that, that tries to break through but, but cannot and then it creates this, this tension that we can feel uh, throughout the film and, and because again because Tilda Swinton's acting is so uh, sublime this tension is even more powerful you know, in, in, in all the scenes 
so you use the word desire maybe for me uh, I would prefer to go with the, with the word tension mm-hmm. but more or less it's the same thing no it's yeah I mean it's it's ironic that she she has this sound that she you know experiences as like an intrusion as a kind of rupture but it's also the way that she is kind of connecting and reconnecting with people and trying to you know understand it there was a point earlier in the movie when I thought well what's going to happen if she does figure it out you know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then and then what happens at that point um but i mean of course the movie develops in, in many other ways yes there were a couple other things in in the movie that i don't think are so upfront i thought i remember reading an interview where he said he felt some sort of connection to the history of the country mm-hmm. he felt echoes um, mm. in, in terms of like the the trauma of, of history that was experienced there and mm-hmm. how maybe it you know links up mm-hmm. to some feelings he had yes again in this film uh, he never makes it too clear he never makes the politics too clear or uh, he never tries to project his political idea into the films but again uh, this subterranean element is also uh, palpable and, and almost visible in, in, in all his films. And in this one, I think he said, he says something like he feels, he said that Thailand and Colombia experience the same kind of oppression, authoritative uh, government. That's why he can feel the, I think he used the word anxiety, anxieties of the Colombian people because mm. that's uh, not be exactly the same as what Thailand is experiencing, but still it's the same is in the same region of, of feeling. So I think that's one of the reasons that he chose to make a film in, in South America because of this is a place where there, there, where people uh, feel the wound of history, where people have lived through a, a hardship and, and uncertainties. And I think he, he can feel that connection between South America and where he came from in Thailand and especially in the Northeast. The northeast of Thailand, the, the region where there's a history of violence, a history of, of fighting between the government and the insurgents. Again, we cannot see any of this in the film, but we can sense that behind everything, beneath the surface, all of this historical wounds and, 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 and scars and, and, and unresolved conflicts are still bubbling. And I think that's what he means when he says he can connect uh, Thailand and, and Colombia and why he feels like making a film in Colombia is not such a strange decision for him. You know, watching the movie, you know, as you said, it's, it is a subterranean, if that, you kind of have to, would have to think about the background. I mean, I mean, kind of naturally, there's like a, a checkpoint at one point, you know, some on a drive somewhere, but you'd have to kind of think into that <laughs> or read into that a yes, bit to, to yes, understand yes, it. exactly yes but i think it's, it's powerful because it's not so explicit and, and yeah because you sort of feel it along the way even though you you never really see it in the film um all right well i mean i think there's a lot more to absorb you've already written a feature about memoria if i'm right that's in the yes Nikkei yes part? for the nikkei yeah nikkei asia mm-hmm. And uh, I'm writing for a few places. I used to work full-time for the Bangkok Post. Uh, not anymore. Now I'm working for the Thai Film Archive. But I still write. I, co- I still contribute uh, reviews and interviews and, and, and articles to the Bangkok Post. It is the English language newspaper in, in Bangkok. But I also write sometimes for uh, Nikkei, Nikkei Asia, uh, published in Japan. 
as well as uh, some other Thai language uh, publications and websites, including the BBC Thai. And I, I can't resist asking, since you mentioned that you're working for the Thai Film Archive now, yes. are there any you know, projects you want to mention or, or restorations you want to mention? Uh, actually, we've been doing a lot of restoration lately. And actually, last year, one of our restored film called Black Silk from 1961 was picked by Cannes, Cannes Classics. But since the, the festival could not happen, <laughs> we didn't get to show the film in Cannes, unfortunately. But uh, So that's the one you may want to look out for, Black Silk Black from Silk. 1961. And, but in 2017, actually, there was another film, uh, another Thai film uh, from 1954. That screen in Cannes Classics uh, is called Santi Vina. Uh, it's the name of the two characters, Santi Vina. Uh, actually, you can watch them on our YouTube channel. Also, I, I encourage you to go to YouTube and just type Thai Film Archive. And we have put up quite a lot of some feature films, but a lot of oh, historical great. films as well uh, on the YouTube channel. So you can watch Santi Vina, which was in Khan's Classic five years ago uh, on, on YouTube. Uh, but oh, also many, many other films from, from our collection. Yeah, that's terrific. Now, well, I might have to, we might have to um, get you back on, on the podcast to talk about some of those, some of those films. That'd be my pleasure. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Nicholas. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Last Thing I Saw with your host, Nicholas Rapold. Please consider signing up at rapold.substack.com. Special thanks to the Minarets for the opening music. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.